the way we consume and share news today, it is largely rooted in social media outlets, a reason why it is crucial to look at what's being discussed online from the hottest issues to trends. For our daily social media minute, we're joined by Erica. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you, too. <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of buzzwords to cover. And the first one honestly truly shocked me to the core because this is Korea we're talking about. We're so focused on traditional school and thriving in its education system. And so I thought, this is kind of new to me. And I'm assuming it's new to our listeners, too. Turns out increasing number of South Korean children are quitting elementary and middle schools. That's right. Um, this may come as a surprise to most Koreans yeah. out there, uh, but for me, I live this every day. Um, all of the students at the school where I teach, um, they have dropped out of school and they came to our school looking for an alternative option. Okay, so that's so, a really important, I think, point you raise because you have to drop out of the Korean education system yeah. for you to be part of international schools or these other alternative options as well. So these stats also include those who want to pursue other um, academic routes, if you will. Um, you know, after I share the story, you might want to ask yourself the question, is South Korea's public school system failing us? Are the times simply changing? Why are these kids and their parents looking for something different? Mm. Uh, according to a new report by the Ministry of Gender and Equality, more and more elementary and middle school students are dropping out of school. Uh, more than half of the students that dropped out of school were actually high school students at 56.9%. But but uh, apparently that figure is down by 3.6% compared to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the number of middle school students dropping out comprised 27%. Mm. And those who quit during their elementary school years made up 15.8% of the total number of students that dropped out of the public school system. Now, the numbers indicate a 0.4% and 3.4% increase respectively uh, for the middle and elementary school students that dropped out. So it turns out there, the data is based on a, a survey, if I'm not That's mistaken. That's right. Yeah, it was uh, based on a survey conducted by the National Youth Policy Institute and Hanguk Research uh, of more than 3,000 unenrolled students between ages 9 and mm -hmm. 24. Um, a majority of teenager students who quit school said they did so because, quote, there was no point in going to school. That could be interpreted in so many different ways. Because um, initially, if you just look at that without any kind of context, I may even jump to a pretty pessimistic conclusion. Like, are students lazier? Are we exposed yeah. to just so much information that they feel like there is no point in pursuing traditional school? It's too boring or things like that. However, there's more to this than I think immediately meets the eye of someone who's just reading a survey from afar. How does it compare to previous surveys? Is there some notable changes? Yes. So compared to uh, the same survey that was uh, taken back in 2018, more teenagers quit school because they wanted to learn something different mm -hmm. at a place that wasn't a regular public school. Um, fewer teenagers actually quit school because of the school environment or their relationship with friends. Oh. Um, more than 50 percent of the students said they did not regret 
quitting school. And that number is higher than the 41% of the students who said they did regret their decision. Mm. Now, those who said they regretted uh, leaving school said they felt like they had less chance to make friends, engage in various experiences, or get a graduation certificate. Um, Here's the thing. I mentioned that I work at a school that is unaccredited, which Mm. means when these students come to our school and they eventually exit or graduate, they don't get a diploma. They don't get a graduate diploma and they're taking that risk to look for something different a different sort of education that's not just uh, focused on you know force feeding knowledge mm. um it's more about uh i don't know uh, it's competency based mm. we teach students how to communicate with other children and cooperate collaborate mm. and uh, these are competencies that we consider to be core competencies mm. of the 21st century you know growing up i always thought i was an outlier in this traditional schooling system i mean i did pursue it because i didn't realize that there would be other viable options i think it takes a great strength i think maybe even courage for parents and students to get a board with unaccredited systems, like you said? What if I decide in my third year in high school that I, I want to take the college entrance exam? That sounds just wildly unrealistic. But right. anyhow, it seems that maybe more options, um, more surveys like such to gauge where students are, where parents are, might be a good conversation we keep up because we know that the education system can be approved upon. That's not just Korea. We're not singling out right. this country. But I mean, we could maybe benefit a great deal for me. I mean, we talk about the pressure, the make or break exam, uh, too much pressure of that, Um, maybe grooming students in a single system. Is that the most effective way to gauge everyone's unique intelligence? No. So these unenrolled teenagers um, said they might have stayed uh, in the public school system Mm. if there were classes that focused on their talents, for example, or there were platforms that helped with what they actually wanted to learn (laughs) and opportunities to look at career options. Okay, see, this is what I mean when you have to look at the context of the survey. These students are not lazy by any means. They're not bored. They want to just pursue something more substantial. And if I knew I had options, I feel like I could have excelled in school more, Erica. Yeah. Only (laughs) not the only one. (laughs) Only in hindsight, maybe with the benefit of hindsight, too. All right. That's the latest survey. Interesting, right? Uh, Let's now turn our attention to our second buzzword of the day. I grew up in California, and we see not in so much in Northern California, but in Southern California, lots of palm trees. And uh, you'd be surprised to learn they're not native to California. It's They basically uproot it and bring it to the state of California to make it look like it's native. And the same is evident right here on the coastal city of South Korea. You know, many palm trees actually cannot survive in any climate that gets even moderately cold for extended periods of time, including coconut palms. Uh, They are the tall, super skinny variety that we see uh, in Southeast Asia. But there are some palm tree species, such as the the bamboo palm or the date palm, that do actually quite nicely in temperatures that hover around the freezing point and can even tolerate snow for sure short periods of time. Um, The story that I'm about to tell you, I don't know what to make of this. The next time you head over to Gangneung, you might want to keep your eyes open for the latest addition to their beach landscape because 51 palm trees uh, have been planted on three different beaches along the East Coast. Mm, It's pretty. It's photogenic. (laughs) I mean, it looks exotic, right? Exactly. And I I think for local tourism, the sort of image that Gangneung has been trying to upkeep 
keep a cool and an exciting tourist destination for youngsters. Great photo op being one of them, one of the many options that they would like to relay. I get it. I get why they did it. Now, the questions of can these palm trees survive in that climate? Um, It gets viciously windy during the winter seasons. They also get a lot of snow, many years (laughs) record breaking. So can they withstand that amount of cold? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to see. But uh, Kangmin City recently invested 200 million won or $157,000 to uh, plant these date palms uh, on the beach to to make it look more exotic. And uh, it, it does seem to accomplish that goal. But the problem is two weeks into being transplanted, more than half the trees are looking sick. The leaves on uh, some of these palm trees, more than half of them actually, uh, look like uh, hay. They're they're drying out. You know, they don't look very healthy. Okay. And Kangmin City says this is a natural phenomenon that the trees are adapting to their new environment, mm. um, and they're tending to these trees as much as possible to prevent the worst from happening, which is the trees completely dying out. Oh boy. Okay, but to be fair, I mean these trees, like I mean they 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 go yellow quite frequently, and you have to continuously attend it, but. I do wonder, you'd have to ask, how do locals feel about the new addition of 51 palm trees? I mean, why 51? Why couldn't they even it out? That bothers me, no? 50? <laughs> anyway. I mean, are you a control freak? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you know, some of the residents have positive feedback. Uh, they say, oh, it looks great. It looks really exotic. It looks, I don't know, it's something new, I guess. Um, and other people say they don't like it very much because they say palm trees from the tropics simply don't belong on the east coast of Korea that is home to pine trees. Um, If you've ever been to one of the beaches on the East Coast, uh, many of them are actually lined with pine trees, which belong to the evergreen family. You know, I do have to ask, the Gangneung City spent a great deal of money bringing these palm trees to the coastal city. So they must have a game plan to how to withstand the cold, frigid winters in the coastal city. That's the problem. Um, during the cold winter months, Gangneung City will have to transport these palm trees to uh, temperature-controlled greenhouses, and this is going to cost the city an additional forty million won, or thirty-one thousand U.S. dollars, in taxpayers' money. Oh. So it's costly. It's costly. Just fifty-one trees, but uh, it's costing them a lot of money. Just the idea of taking them into greenhouses during the winter months and bringing them back out. I feel like that's also stressful for the trees and that's never good for the sustainability. But anyhow, the trees are there. I think it's in everyone's interest to help them thrive. We'll keep tabs on it. And finally, on to our third buzzword of the day. This is fascinating. African YouTube creators gaining traction through video messages in Korean and they're not necessarily fluent in the language. I mean, just one look at the photo, um, and I was in, immediately intrigued, right? Um, we see these uh, seven bare-chested African men uh, wearing blue sweatpants. They're standing facing the camera, and uh, together they say, Happy birthday, Yejin, in Korean. And in front of them, there are two men also sporting the same look, and they're holding this chalkboard mm-hmm. with the same Korean line written on it, mm-hmm. Happy birthday, Yejin. And after the birthday shout-out, they start singing in Korean, Kanadara, sung by Korean singer Jay Park. And this video message went viral on YouTube last month. It gained, uh, it attracted 60,000 views. 
And, uh, you know, these men, they barely speak Korean and they're catering to a Korean audience. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I do wonder what's the full scope of the story. I mean, why are they attempting this? Are they just K-pop fans? Is that Yejin Son Yejin? It's a business model, basically. How so? So they know that Korean language, Korean content is really popular right now. It all started with another YouTube, a really popular YouTube channel launched by a 24-year-old Bangladeshi student of the Korean language. Uh, he he launched this YouTube channel in 2019. I sent out messages in Korean. It went viral. Uh, you know, he drew more than 75,000 subscribers in the course of a single day with this oh, one wow. video that, wow. you know, in which he speaks Korean. That sounds like a lofty side project. Yeah. So they create these customized video messages okay. for their Korean clients. There's, they could sing in Korean, happy birthday, or whatever message the client <laughs> requests. And uh, they, they make money out of it. Ah, uh, okay. So that's how it's a business model. Yep. So I do wonder for these young men from Africa, how do they, how much do they charge? Is it affordable? <gasps> Yeah, uh, 35,000 won uh, for the basic type of video. The Bangladeshi uh, YouTube creator, he charges uh, 17,000 won for the basic video. And then the the, the price goes up depending on the additional options that are added. All right. So if you have to do a fancy dance, they might charge you more. (laughs) That's right. So these creators have one thing in common. They chose Korean for their video messaging services because South Korea has been at the forefront of the media and entertainment industry. Who knew? I honestly did think think even the success of BTS, even the success of Parasite would be short-lived, but it turns out it's really not. Um, Our music and films have gained massive global recognition in recent years, and it's sticking. That's right. And uh, it's, it's a smart business model because Koreans become super enthused. They get a kick out of watching foreigners speak Korean, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's novelty in it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Erica, for such a fun talk. We'll speak to you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.